Over the last couple of sermons, I've been preaching about growing in the anointing, the abiding manifest presence of God. And I think the key scripture from last week was Psalm 91 verse 1, which says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And we really need to live under God's shadow, His anointing, because the reality is we're in a battle. Uh, those of you who have watched the America's Cup over the last um, month or so uh, will know that uh, in the side of the New Zealand boat, there's a bunch of guys that they call cyclors, and they're on bicycles on the boat, and their sole job is to pump the oil pressure of the hydraulics up uh, because they can't shift the sail, they can't put the dagger boards down, they can't turn the rudder, unless there is uh, pneumatic, not pneumatic, hydraulic pressure. And that pressure is created by these guys. Now, just the same as they can't sail that boat without uh, that hydraulic pressure, we can't live without the pneumatics of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said uh, to his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem until you've been filled with power on high. And we have never been created to live life by ourselves under our own strength, but we've been created to do life with the Holy Spirit living within us, working through us. Jesus knew that his disciples would be facing battles that they uh, that would be absolutely impossible for them to win without the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, in August coming up, I think it's the 11th of August, we've got David and Greta Peters here doing a school of the supernatural. So if you're not familiar with moving in the supernatural, if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't know how to move in that way, this is an absolutely awesome seminar uh, for you to be involved in, and we'll get some information out in the next um, few weeks on that. But um, when you start moving to a new level in God, uh, when you start being more effective in building God's kingdom, as we've been encouraging each other to do over the last few weeks, you're going to find that it won't always be plain sailing, that there will be obstacles, that there will be attacks from the enemy. In fact, some of you would have heard that, um, that saying, new level, new devils. Anyone heard that? Well, it just means that Satan's targets the effective, the ones who are trying to make a difference. And when obstacles come into our life, it's easy to think that we must be doing something wrong, but not necessarily. Paul said, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, a great and effective door has opened for me. And we think, yay, fantastic. And then he goes on, and there are many adversities. Adversaries. Open doors, adversaries go hand in hand. In fact, the Apostle Paul, um, probably the most influential person outside of Jesus in the New Testament, battled constant harassment from adversaries. Uh, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 49 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open seas. Sounds like um, going fishing with some of the people here. <coughs> I've been constantly on the move. 
I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. Wow. What was going on here? Did this guy have a string of bad luck, or was someone or something trying to take him out? Any time you're trying to do something and serving God, the enemy will try and derail your vision. In many cases, the enemy isn't fighting you because you're weak and useless. He's actually <clears throat> fighting you because you're strong and because you've got a great future. Uh, we read about the life of King David in the Old Testament. And we see that David was anointed three times. And every time he came into a new anointing, he faced greater, more powerful enemies. Thank goodness God tells us that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God never said, though, that no weapons would form against us. What he did say was that every weapon that's formed against us will not prosper. Will not prosper. <clears throat> Over the last couple of years or so, Church Unlimited has really moved to new levels of God's blessing. We've seen increased campuses. We've seen New Zealand Beyond double in size twice. We've seen national influence um, supporting a fantastic prayer uh, ministry. And here at the Whangarei campus, our youth and kids ministry are really going fantastically. In fact, we've got twice as many youth, twice as many uh, kids and kids ministry than what you would expect for the size of our congregation. So God is really, really um, blessing there. But when God is on the move, so is the enemy. And so when he pushes, we need to push back. We need to break through. Uh, we have a breakthrough anointing as a church. Historically, uh, we've been a breakthrough church in our city. And so just as we corporately have been able to break through and lead in many areas, so you personally, being under that anointing, uh, will have that breakthrough anointing in your own lives. When problems occur, I often ask myself, okay, is this happening because... I am reaping what I've been sowing. Okay? Uh, I ask, mm, am I reaping what other people have been sowing? Or is this attacking of the enemy? Or is this stuff happening simply because I'm living in a world that's falling apart? And by the way, this is earth, not heaven. Okay? There's a difference. This place isn't perfect. This place is crumbling. This place is getting worse and worse in a number of areas. If it's the enemy, there's usually going to be a pattern there, but often we don't recognize his attacks because the enemy is largely unseen. I think the hardest enemy to fight is the unseen enemy. The Americans found that out in Vietnam, and the world has found that out as we battle against Islamic terrorists, that an enemy that you can't see is really hard to defeat. And that's exactly the enemy that we battle against. In Ephesians 6 verse 12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. 
but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And while we read this, and perhaps quote this verse regularly, we, we don't comprehend its consequences and its impact on our lives. See, this verse tells us that it's a battle in life. And the battle is a spiritual battle against the demonic. Now, we in the West minimize this because the enemy is really largely unseen. But anyone who's traveled through the East will know that the the demonic is absolutely in your face. It's not covered. It's not in the background. It's actually in your face. I remember the um, first time I ever went to India, I was just confronted by people with illnesses that we prayed for that were 100% healed when we cast demons out of them. You know, you'd see someone with a twisted arm like this, and you think, oh, that's just uh, that's a medical condition. You'd cast a demon out, and the arm would just be released and just come to the fore like that. We saw people being thrown to the ground, slithering like snakes as the demons got hold of them. And it was just really, really in your face. The very first kid I ever prayed for when I was over there, and a group came up, he said, oh, look, I'm just having problems studying. I just reached out my hand, uh, began to pray down the presence of God. His eyes rolled back straight away in his head, and he fell to the ground and began to convulse. Went down, prayed for him. Demon came out of him. Got up normal. These are the sort of confronting things uh, that were happening over there. And it doesn't just happen uh, over in India. Most often, it happens here too. I remember one time when Penny was babysitting um, for a lady who had to go to a hospital. She, was, um, she took a sleeping bag with her and uh, was lying on the lady's couch. In the middle of the night, she felt, <coughs> excuse me, she felt something or someone trying to pull the sleeping bag off her. And as she sort of struggled to come to, she saw a ball of light at the foot of her sleeping bag, then just move out of the room. Scary stuff. Uh, Lots and lots and lots of times uh, we have over the years been called mainly to um, non-Christian people's homes, asking them to cast devils out of their place because of the unusual happenings that were happening in their place. In New Zealand... In New Zealand. And I think culturally, uh, us uh, middle class Europeans are less aware of the demonic and the spiritual than perhaps uh, our Maori um, folk are. And one of the things that we have to realize is that there is a battle, it's a struggle, and it's not against flesh and blood. The Bible tells us that originally there was a war in the heavens and Satan and his demon angels were thrown out of heaven. But then Revelation chapter 12 says this. He says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. So on earth we have a battle and it will become more intense in the end times. Now, 
I don't often preach on this. In fact, I think in the last decade, I've probably only preached on this once, once before, but it's something that we need to be aware of. Um, demons can affect people personally on a number of levels and in a number of areas. They can entice, they can harass, they can torture, they can torment, they can drive, they can compel, they can enslave, they can oppress, they can cause addictions, um, deceive, attack the physical body, bring sickness, and generally they hinder the work of God in a person's life. And their biggest, biggest weapon is to stay undercover. Their biggest weapon is to make people believe that they don't exist. Because if they don't exist, then their work goes largely untested. Now, in a region, demonic rulers and authorities, as Ephesians um, talks about, can impact the spiritual climate of that region in the opposite way to the Holy Spirit. I remember one time I was traveling to um, Kenya, Uganda, Mozambique, uh, with one of my staff members in the um, AOG missions department. We'd just been in Kenya. We'd had a great time with the Ames, and um, we flew into Entebbe Airport in Uganda, and uh, we were walking across the tarmac, and spontaneously, both of us started to laugh. And we just looked at each other, and we just kept on laughing. And we talked about it afterwards uh, when we were in the car um, going with the two Masimis. And we realized that when we got into Ugandan airspace, it was like something had lifted. It was like taking the cork off the, off the bottle. And so we just, it just all came out. We just, we just laughed. There had been an oppression in Kenya that we weren't experiencing in Uganda. The only other time I've ever experienced that was when I was in New York, and I think it was about 1983. And I remember flying out of um, New York, uh, Kennedy Airport, on the way to um, Toronto in Canada. And as the plane took off, it was like just something lifted in my spirit. And I thought, wow, I wasn't aware of the oppression that I was under when I was in that place. So there can be regional um, powers and spirits. And some of you might be thinking, well, what about us here in New Zealand? Well, in our nation, so many Christians who once loved the Lord God are no longer in church. What happened? At the end of the day, the enemy taking them out. I think in New Zealand, though, and in Northland, there is definitely a strong spiritual attack against our youth that we need to stand up against. I read yesterday the latest UNICEF report that tells us that New Zealand has the highest youth suicide rate in the world. How can that be, people? I mean, in such an amazing country like ours, how can we have the highest youth suicide rate in the world? Kids have lost hope, they've lost love, and while there might be multiple reasons for this, underlying this, I really believe that Satan is the master of despair and discouragement. Jesus said the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And you think every time God was going to send a deliverer in the Old Testament, Satan attacked the youth, tried to kill the youth. Because 
He sees them as being the hope uh, for the future. By the way, thanks for all those who have been praying for a, um, a, new, a new youth pastor for us. And it's been a really, really, really long journey there. But I'm happy to tell you that in two weeks' time, uh, we've got a young man coming up to start on staff. And uh, he's going to be starting off as youth worker and assisting Stephen. But uh, he's going to be uh, growing into the job and taking over the job in three to six months, we, we hope. So that's, that's good news. That's good news. But I, I say that also, keep praying. Keep praying because uh, the youth will be under attack. You know, they had 77 kids on Wednesday night, which is absolutely phenomenal. For this size congregation, we would expect 25 in the, in the school age, in the secondary school age. So we're three times what you'd expect by national uh, demographics. So God's blessing, but as God's blessing, there will be opposition. So we need to keep praying for that. So what's the answer? What's the answer? Well, one of the keys to becoming more than a conqueror, and we're talking about this personally as well as us corporately as a, uh, as a church, one of the things we have to do is grow in truth. There's an old saying, ignorance is bliss. Did your mum tell you that when she didn't want to... Uh, tell you something? Well, that is so absolutely untrue. Ignorance is not bliss, it's actually bondage. All right? Isaiah 5.13 says, therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The Bible describes Satan as the father of lies. And to the Degree that we believe the lies that he comes to us with will be the degree that we enter into bondage. When you believe his lies, then he's able to exercise authority over you. And when you believe a lie, the enemy will be empowered, your life can be impoverished, hampered, and damaged. So people believe lies in three areas. Really, they believe lies about themselves. They believe that they're unloved. They believe that they're ugly. They believe that they're without gifts or significance. They'll never be happy. They're going to die before their time. If Satan sows these lives in our lives and we feed them, then they will result in destructive strongholds in our lives. And many of you would have seen this if you've known anyone who's um, been anorexic or uh, had um, bulimia. You know, it's just so difficult to break those lies. Uh, Because often there's a spiritual underlying current which is creating that bondage. Uh, People believe lies about God. Whenever you find Satan... Speaking in the Old Testament, in the Bible, he's always slandering somebody. In Genesis, he slanders God to Adam and Eve. He says, hey, he really doesn't have your best interests at heart. And he's convinced many of us that God, for the most part, is very unhappy with us. He's very hard to satisfy. He's harsh and demanding. And he's always punishing people. You know, people believe that Christchurch earthquake, for instance, uh, where God 
uh, was God punishing Christchurch for their sins? Dear me. The truth is that God is good and loving, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. And God's answer to sin is not an earthquake. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. People believe lies about how life should be lived. Satan tells us that we can just do our own thing and it doesn't matter. However we live, no consequences. The response of some Christians is that they think that they are immune from demonic activity because they're believers, or they minimize the impact of demonic activity, or they don't even believe that demonic activity exists. The reality is... You aren't immune because you are a believer. You're a target. That's why the very first item of the armor of God that Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 6 is the belt of truth. We need to live it. We need to put it on. Bondage comes as a result of and is sustained by ignorance. I think a really good example of this was when Abraham Lincoln freed American slaves. Many continued to live in bondage because they were ignorant of their freedom. They were legally free, yet their former masters deceived them. Because the slaves were unable to read, they were easy to keep in captivity and in subjection. In contrast, the Bible tells us that as we grow in the truth... Will become progressively free. John 8:32. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. One of the most often used titles of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. And one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to lead us into more truth in our lives, which means that He will shine His light on areas in our lives that need to be sorted out, and he will be prompting us, trying to bring us into a place uh, of increasing truthfulness. As we sit under the teaching of the Word of God, we should come into a place of greater freedom, greater knowledge of truth. And often, when that happens, all sorts of deliverances take place. When the word is preached, uh, chains are broken, lies are exposed, and robbed of their power, and deliverance is worked in us. More things can be cut away from your life by sitting under the word of God than you'll ever be aware of. But that is one of the reasons why you need to be familiar with the Word of God for yourself. You need to be a studier of the Word. You need to find out what God is, God's Word is saying rather than just accepting everything secondhand. You need to be going to God. You need to be praying. You need to be asking God to shine His light on His Word. I remember taking a home group meeting in India on about the second or third trip we had to India, and there was a lady in the meeting uh, who was deaf in one ear and half deaf in the other. She had enough um, hearing to be, be able to hear through one ear. But as we did a simple Bible study there, suddenly both ears were completely healed and she was 100% healed. 
hearing, just like that. You could imagine how ecstatic she was. In fact, she came up to us straight afterwards. She told us the miracle that happened. And honestly, she, she tried to put in my hand a wad of notes that was about this round. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much was in there. It was just, just thousands of rupees. And um, we had to explain to her that while the witch doctors might, um, might ask for money for healing, that uh, we weren't the ones that healed her. It was the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus Christ who died for her and enabled her to be set free. And as she came under the presence of, of the Word of God and the pre- presence of God, that's how the healing came about, not because of us. And she was just absolutely, she was transformed. Absolutely transformed. But because she sat under the Word. In fact, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the divining of the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. In other words, the Word of God gets in body, soul and spirit. can affect all of those areas and bring about healing and wholeness. And from the Word... We learn the weapons that we can defeat the enemy with because the the devil will try and keep you in darkness and ignorance. He knows that freedom comes with understanding. 2 Corinthians 10.3 For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. In other words, the weapons that God gives us are weapons that act on a spiritual level and will have their impact on a natural level, but they hit the spiritual level first. Unholy spirits hate the truth and the presence of God. The second thing that I see is that we need to live in the spirit being aware of the battle. Once you know that you're in a battle... Once you know that there are forces arranged against you, then you will look at life differently. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The The phrase, lusts of the flesh, refers to things that exercise control in our lives. If you dwell in the secret place, if you dwell in that place of communion with the Lord, you're going to abide, you're going to live under God's shadow. And the enemy hates God's presence. Demons get upset during worship. That's a place of victory. That's a place of conquering. But remember, you can't have victory unless there's a battle to fight. You can only be victorious if there's something for you to overcome. And in this case, it's the enemy. Third thing I see, that um, we need to use the authority that God has given us. Luke 10, 19, I have given you, this is Jesus speaking, authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. This verse isn't given to Spiritual legends. It's not given to paid ministers of the church. This is given to everyone. It doesn't matter whether you are young or whether you are mature. Every Christian 
has been given power to overcome all of the power of the enemy. Nothing excluded. So what are our weapons? What are our weapons? The Word of God, which I've already told you, is sharper than a two-edged sword. The Word of God. Secondly, prayer and fasting. It is a really interesting situation in uh, Matthew 17, 19, uh, where the, a person comes to Jesus with an ep- epileptic son, and in this case, the epilepsy wasn't caused by any um, physiological feature, but it was actually caused by a demon. And the disciples couldn't cast the demon out. And so the uh, disciples came to Jesus. Uh, Jesus cast the demon out. The boy was set free. And the disciples came to him and, and said, you know, why couldn't we cast that, that demon out? And Jesus said, this kind only comes out when there has been prayer and fasting. Interesting. Interesting. How many people love fasting? I've got both hands down. Both hands really down. But I know that when I really, really want to hear from God, when I really want to break through, one of the powerful, powerful weapons that God has given us is is fasting. It was when I was praying and fasting that God gave me a call up to Whangarei. And I could just fill the rest of our time up just by telling you the answers to prayer that have come as a result of fasting. Fasting without prayer is just a diet. All right? It's prayer and fasting, guys and ladies. You've got to put the two together. You give up food or something so that you can pray. And God answers that. It's spectacularly powerful. It is, um, and it's, it's amazing. In the scripture, over and over, you're going to find times of desperation where God's people turn to prayer and fasting and they win fantastic victories. Praise. Ever wonder why Christians, churches sing so much? One of the reasons is that praise is a powerful weapon to enforce the defeat of Satan. In fact, the the late Derek Prince said, if you've only got 10 minutes to pray, you should spend eight minutes praising God. Because the life of praise is a life of victory. And we talked about this uh, two sermons back. I talked more about praise. Uh, There is the word of authority. We can regularly declare those powerful authority verses. When I pick up authority verses, they're twofold. One, they encourage my faith. But two, they act as a double-edged sword. So some of those verses... James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Romans 8, 37, and all these things we are more than conquerors through him. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the word. 1 Peter 2, 24, by whose stripes you are healed. Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Isaiah 54, 17, man, this is one that I have used a lot. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall contemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Every one of you have a heritage. 
and that heritage is that no weapon formed against you will prosper. If you don't know what to pray sometimes, pray in tongues. That's powerful. That's powerful. Begin to say the name of Jesus because my Bible tells me that in the name of Jesus, chains are broken, captives are set free. There's going to be a time when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's Lord. There is power in the name of Jesus. Let's have the musicians. There's one more. There's one more weapon which I think is just so amazingly powerful. More powerful than what we might expect. And that is the ministry of God's love. 1 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So, in this particular verse, um, Paul is talking about a spirit of fear. Someone gripped by an inordinate fear. Uh, fear has been given to us to keep us safe. If you go near the edge of a cliff, most normal people will get scared. Why? Because it's a natural response to a dangerous situation. But what Satan often does is he takes a natural response and through his demonic oppression causes a spiritual attack through that. So you have people with an inordinate fear, a fear that is uncontrollable, a fear that can actually drive people to danger rather than away from it. 1 John 4, 18 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Fear in this situation is a spirit. It isn't just a psychological state. It, fear wears many facades, masks, creates whole patterns of dishonesty around about it. And just anyone who's ever visited a cancer ward, I remember in the Waikato going up and visiting a person who was dying but I had time waiting in a waiting room and there was a, it was filled with people who were going for their checkup after six or 12 months after an operation. And on many of them, their faces were absolutely filled with fear. Fear of what might be found. Now, I don't know whether any of those had an inordinate fear in that situation. But you could sense the fear when you walked into the room. It wasn't just a psychological situation in that case. Love, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in the midst of a congregation, can work tremendous freedom. A congregation like ours that can offer and minister love acceptance and forgiveness to people who come through its doors can expect a tide of freedom to be absolutely released into people's situations and circumstances. And it's up to us to recognize that the love that Jesus Christ has placed in our hearts, in our lives, is just so powerful in breaking chains of bondage and setting people free. When people experience the love of God, Chains that have 
being caused or built up by disaffected children from their parents can be broken. And I want to encourage you not only to use all those other tools, those other weapons, but ask God to make you a minister of His love. When Jesus first preached in the synagogue in Nazareth, He turned to the book of Isaiah and He read this. And I think first instances are always incredibly important in the Bible. And the scripture that he read is a scripture that I believe is applicable to each and every one of us. And he basically sets out our ministry of love and reconciliation. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Why don't you stand with me? While we're in a battle, God has made us to be more than conquerors. He has given us the weapons to do this. We just need to be aware of the battle we're in. And if we can ask the Holy Spirit just to come afresh into our lives and use that use us as a conduit, as a point of release of His love and His acceptance and His forgiveness, who knows what God will be able to do in and through. As I look around this morning, I see people from every walk of life. People from most geographical situations around Whangarei people we've got the city covered imagine if each one of us was like a light and at night we could just turn off the lights and look and see where we all are and in the daytime look and see the places where we go to work the places where we have recreation Those are all the places where God wants to minister His love, acceptance, and forgiveness. But realize that you're in a spiritual battle. You're not fighting against flesh and blood. You're fighting against powers and principalities. But that God has given you the authority and the weapons to break through in each and every situation that you might face. Amen. Let's have the ministry team come and stand in the front here and this morning I want to pray especially for people who uh, who need a breakthrough in their situation or people who need a miracle in their life that covers a whole realm of places of situations circumstances if you need a breakthrough and if you need a miracle then you come because I really believe that the Lord wants to release Holy Spirit empowered breakthroughs this morning. And you might be here this morning and you might never ever have given your life to Jesus Christ. You haven't got these weapons available to you. But as soon as you 
Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Please forgive me for the dumb stuff that I've been doing over the previous few years. Help me to live a life that's pleasing for you. Once you want to know God, He comes in and your life will be changed for eternity. That's the best decision that you can make. Come out from darkness, in a sense, into eye-opening light and see what God will do.